Well, this is episode three now with a pod to be named later, and we are very close to coming up with an episode name as we were discussing off air. We won't say anything yet, but fingers crossed maybe episode four will be the episode where we have a name. We, we've got percolation. Let's say that. Uh, that's not the name. That's just, it's percolating. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite words there. So marinating, percolating, simmering. We're getting there. We're getting there. We don't want to rush it. And as people can probably tell now, because it's episode three and it's still <laughs> TBH. So we're really not rushing it. <laughs> and for people that are looking, they're like, why does Jordan have a background? My room's dirty. So you're not going to be able to see my room. So screw you. I'm going to have a background for this episode until I'm not lazy and and productive and cleaning my room. And I get the benefit of having this in an office, which eh, there's a little bit of clutter in here, a little little more than I would like. But uh, the the long story short is I moved in uh, almost three years ago now and never set up anything because I thought we were only going to be here for a year or two and now we're my girlfriend and I are getting ready to sign a lease for a fourth year in this house and now it's just a point of denial where I'm not gonna put up any of the decorations that I have in boxes for three years yeah I understand that I mean congratulations for a fourth year on a lease that's awesome because I mean if I could buy a house I would but yeah oh in this market too I mean it's crazy so We'll dive right into uh, basketball, as we, I think in the previous two episodes, it's been football first, but this one we'll dive into basketball, especially with the recent news of Duke getting the commit from Harvard, Cal Catchings. What do you know about him, Connor? Yeah, I know the the first thing that stands out about Cale is his size, right? He's 6'6", 220. He's not uh, slight. Uh, he's, he's a big body wing. Uh, it seems like he would give a little bit of versatility to where, I don't know how much he'll be called on to play a, a small ball four or how much he'd be called on to play a, a big lineup two. But, you know, it seems like he gives some versatility. I, he's not going to come in and, and be a 25 to 30 minute a game guy. He's not, I don't, I, unless they've found, a real hidden gem here. Uh, he's not coming in to, to start. Um, he's coming in as a depth piece. And uh, like we talked a little bit ago, you know, it's so much of, so much of roster construction right now is about uh, role, alloc- role allocation. Mm-hmm. And as long as this is a guy that understands, Hey, I was a, nine point a game scorer in the Ivy league. That probably means I'm not going to average double figures for Duke in the ACC with a ton of McDonald's all Americans on this team. Then I think he's a valuable addition. Um, he gives you some experience. He gives you, like I said, some size and versatility. Um, he's an okay three point shooter. Like he, he hit 34% of threes took 73s last season for Harvard um it's a decent addition you know it's I guess it's not blowing off anybody's socks but it's also it's it's a addition that you know this is a lot better than having a an empty body out there basically 
Yeah, I mean, it's the Bates role is what it's going to be called from here on out, basically. It's you get a guy from a mid-major that has a nice size. This guy's a little bit more athletic than Bates is. No offense to Bates. He's just the frame-wise, the guy's good frame. And just a third big man off the bench that, like, you saw. I mean, he's 6'6", so big man is a loose term. But size-wise, he could possibly give you – a media timeout, like four minutes to a media to get a breather for a guy that's in foul trouble to get you over the hump to bring him back in. Because honestly, for what Duke could have had in the final four when Mark Williams picked up his third foul and then Theo John had four in the first half because they didn't have that extra big man that could play down low. I know, obviously, like I said, he's 6'6", but he has, he has size. He has frame to where maybe he could go down there with Baycott and battle with him for – three and a half minutes, and that's enough to save Theo John that extra foul and maybe Mark Williams that extra foul. Yeah, and that's and, – and the other part of this equation is, you know, we have an idea of how John Shire will coach and what his system will look like based on being on Duke's bench for almost 10 years and based on the two and a half games that he's coached already. But we don't really know what the system is going to be. We don't know, like – you know, is he is he going to try to play more five out? Is he going to go small ball? Is he going to go big ball? On paper right now, you would think Jeremy Roach is a 34 to 38 minute a game type of guy that you're rarely going to want to bring off the court. Uh, you kind of, if he can handle that, great. You don't want to go into a season thinking that's going to be what you have to do. Uh, you want some insurance there, but that's, you know, that's a matter of whether Jalen Blake develops behind him, and that's a matter of, of who they bring in, uh, who else they bring in in the portal. But, you know, this is – there's there's a mystery element here for the first time at Duke in, in 40-some years because you don't know what the, what the style of play is going to be on the court. You don't know how everything is going to gel together. You don't know how John Shire is going to differ from Coach K. Uh, we already have kind of a – a sense that for that third assistant role that's still not filled, that he's looking outside of the Duke family for that. He talked to Jai Lucas at Kentucky. Um, so there's, he's shown a willingness to kind of break from tradition. And I'm not saying he's going to change everything and Duke basketball is going to be unrecognizable from its previous four decades, but there there are going to be some changes and style of play very well could be one of them. Like that's, that's something that you want your head coach to have his fingerprints all over. You don't want to have to have, you know, like, you know, this, this comparison might not go over well, but you know, Hubert Davis didn't run the same system that Roy Williams ran for two decades at Carolina and they got him in a national championship game. It got him, you know, it, it had him on the bubble going into March, but it also got him five wins in the NCAA tournament and, a 15-point lead at halftime uh, of the championship game. Yeah, I mean, and the one thing with uh, Shire, if he did change the tempo or whatever, is his national championship team in 2010 is vastly different than the championship team in 2015 and vastly different from the Zion teams that he was a part of coaching. So, like, he knows how to change it up because he played in a slower offense and almost like a mover-blocker offense to where now it's more – the talent's just it's completely different from what it was in 2010 because it's one and done. So it's just not ISO ball, but there's a lot of single singular plays for certain individuals. And so it goes back to a team mindset. I mean, who knows? It, it, 
it could be a struggle at first. You saw that with Hubert's offense. I mean, they didn't hit stride until mid, till what Feb, mid January, late Feb, or late January when they beat. Yeah, the I mean, today. the the time frame in there, like they lost to Pitt. I think that was February nineteenth. Oh, February. Sorry, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. and 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 they had they had had some like the in the postseason. The date that they always went to was the. I think it was January 22nd. They lost by 22 to Wake Forest um, that Saturday night. That's that's the one they got brought up. But it was like, yeah, they, you still dropped a couple games that you should have won. You know, I think some things got ironed out after that Wake game. And I know this is a Duke and Wake Forest podcast and not a UNC podcast. But, yeah, they they were still ironing some things out when they came to Durham on March 5th. Yeah, and it is a primarily Duke and Wake podcast, but definitely we'll touch base on other ACC opponents and teams because, I mean, it would be kind of naive of us to not cover a UNC getting, let's say, Gigi Jackson, for example, since they are in Chapel Hill, Dukes, and Durham, and even if NC State ever does anything, I know, obviously, football season – that's a different thing than their basketball season, but hopefully Keats can turn it around. As a Ferrum alum, I'd love for my boy Keats to get it going like he did at first. But you talk about how we talked about transport transfer portal so much, and like the pros and cons of the transfer portal. The number one guy who's been, I guess, hurt by the transfer portal and the pay for play is Keats. Like he saw he signed what two five star players that never stepped foot on campus because they like immediately or down the road decommit to go to overtime's team and the or the overtime's uh league and then another guy went somewhere else just, I can't remember just lost Robert Dillingham yeah yeah so if anybody knows the cons of the transfer portal it's Keats and NC State and then everybody from this past season seems like they left as well in the portal but yeah so we'll touch base on other ACC teams and we'll touch base with UNC in a minute as well or if we want to deep dive into that right now we can because they did just sign Gigi Jackson who was a Duke recruit there for a little bit but Duke seemed to tell off probably in the last month I want to say maybe the last month I know in the like around the final four time frame they kind of started distancing themselves for whatever reason do you want to go through that yeah, it seemed like the first red flag to me was before the Final Four, Gigi Jackson came out and said he picked UNC to beat Duke and then UNC to win the championship. And that was kind of weird. Like, I, you know, I don't know the context of whether he was specifically asked to give his opinion on who would win the game or whether that came up organically. Um, it seems like something – if you're choosing, I mean, he had other schools in his in his list there in his finalists, but really at the end it was Duke or Carolina. Um, South Carolina was interesting to entertain that thought, but once Frank Martin got fired there, that was that was that that ship had sailed. Um, all due respect to Lamont Paris and their new staff, I think they tried to reach out to him, and I think I think Frank got him an offer when Frank got signed up at UMass, but it, it was down to Duke and Carolina and 
like I said, around the final four, when the, when the story came out about him picking Carolina to beat Duke and win the championship, it's kind of, that's, that's not what you would want to see. If you're, if you're on Duke's side of things. No. So, and then there was, uh, I, I found out around the final four weekend that Nolan Smith was his recruiter at Duke. So it seemed, I, I was driving back from New Orleans uh, and started seeing the rumors already that Nolan was going to go to Louisville and that combination with, with him kind of showing his hand with, with being a UNC lean, uh, you know, the announcement came out this week. I think that race was, was won a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was my that was my vibe and feel for it. And I mean, it makes sense to wait this not this late, but the time frame of announcing because I mean, UNC one by one, the returners announced they're coming back, and so it was like almost icing on the cake. It's like Baycott's coming back, R.J. Davis coming back, Caleb Love's coming back, and guess what? Now we have a five star commit coming. So it's like the perfect storm that has Chapel Hill buzzing, and rightfully so. But like I've said before and i've told you off air too it's difference between being america's team and having the cinderella run they did as an eight seed and it's going to the national championship to having a target on your back this upcoming season and it's impossible to get away from the ucla comparisons from just in the last two years what they've gone through you know they they peaked at the right time uh jaime jaquez and tiger campbell and johnny juzang were the darlings of the of the bubble tournament in 2021 in Indy, and this past year, like yeah, they had a they had a better better regular season than they had when they got in as an 11 seed, but they were nothing special. I think uh, did they get to the Sweet 16 and then lose? I, th- um, I, I think so. I, I want to say that sounds right. So you know they they were you know. Every they were a Final Four team preseason. Yeah. Or like you have to pick UCLA, they return everybody, and it's like, exactly. uh, it's different, man. It's different when you're go from being the hunter to being the hunted. Right, and and uh, the other the other side of it is the one starter that Carolina doesn't bring back played a massive role in everything that they were able to do in the last month of the season. Like they're they're still a, a mediocre offensive team with a you know, a combo guard that takes really bad shots for a lot of games uh, if they don't have this floor spacing that Brady Manick provided them. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's not going to be a, a one-for-one replacement. Like, Puff Johnson is not going to step in and be Brady Manick. No. So they'll need to figure out a, a committee approach to that four spot. And look, I mean – Caleb Love might get better. Caleb Love's shot selection might surprise certainly the two of us and, and a lot of other observers <laughs> of Carolina basketball games. And he might all of a sudden become a, a really good, experienced college basketball guard. Maybe. Um, I love R.J. Davis's game. And, and Leaky Black, I, I have to eat so many words on him because I thought he was my, – my favorite saying with Leaky was too much Tokido and not enough Pinson in his game. But he's just he's he's become such a nice player. Um, I always respect the guys that, that don't score to impact the game because that was my game as a 
as a uh, varsity guard off the bench, the the eighth man in a six man rotation. Yeah. But, uh, I, no, I understand. I mean, mine was the same way. I mean, my coach used to say the same thing about him. He he played at West Point, and he said that he was the 16th best player on a 15 man roster. So <laughs> I, I understand that saying, and that is hilarious. But yeah, Leaky, it just. It's Leaky's a cool story. I know this is a Duke and Wake podcast, and they're like, people are like, what the fuck? Like, what are we saying right now? But Leaky played with Wendell. Yeah, so there you go. There's a tie in, but it's it's cool to see in this modern game of college basketball to see a true guy grow year by year. When now he's going to be a senior, and it's really going to hit his potential, like from his freshman year to senior year, like to see the growth as a player. And I know Baycott's coming back for a senior year, but Baycott showed flashes his sophomore year. Then he was dominant his junior year. Now yeah. senior year is going to be different. Leakey just would go, hit a wall, hit a wall, hit a wall, and it was just so much push and pull. And now to see him coming for a senior year and off of a national championship run, it'd be it's cool to see. Like it's a story that individually I pull for because you just like to see that development. And he can't. He's been. Uh, vocal about his mental health struggles and like yeah. Jack Emanuel was an integral part or has been an integral part in helping him with that and that's been awesome to see because you can see his game is improved because of that just yep. him being on the court he just the self-confidence so that hurts me to say as pro UNC stuff but honestly with everybody coming back and Caleb Love he was lightning in a bottle for the last month of the season. You're talking about bad shots. I just think of Paul George's quote when Damian Lillard called game in the uh, NBA playoffs, gosh, three or four years ago. And he's like, that's a bad shot. And I just think of Damian Lillard doing the sidestep about from 38 feet away and then waving by to Russell Westbrook. And Paul George is like, that's a bad shot. And that's how I was. I was that salty when Caleb Love was hitting him against Duke in the final four. Man, that's a bad shot. That's a bad shot. <laughs> So I can relate. I can relate. So we'll see this year. And it's best thing, too, is the rivalry is as good as ever. I know UNC has the upper hand, and they will have the upper hand for the near future. But to see them getting a five-star, bringing back everybody, and then Duke is called the semesterhood to some people. So they're bringing in their guys. And with the recent uh, commit of Kel Catchings and possibly – uh, Ryan Young from Northwestern, who is visiting this weekend. Yeah, um, Ryan Young is your front court size. Uh, he played a lot of center for Northwestern this past year. Um, it should come as no surprise that, you know, Duke got a player that played for Tommy Amaker, and now they're looking at bringing in a player who played for Chris Collins. Like, yep. The brotherhood remains strong. Uh, I, I've talked about, you know, severing ties uh, and going outside the brotherhood for some aspects, but it seems like remaining inside uh, the Duke circle to get guys out of the transfer portal that can be, can play a role um, will still be a function of, of Duke's program. Uh, Ryan Young didn't even play 50% of the minutes for Northwestern, but He's 6'10 and 240, and Duke needs to have a center behind Derek Lively. Like, Derek Lively is not playing 40 minutes a game. Derek Lively not, might not play 30 minutes a game. So you're going to need to have somebody back there 
Um, Ryan Young might commit like by, by the time this is clipped up and, and edited and, and put forth by uh, the better half of this podcast, then, <laughs> then he might have already committed. Uh, he's visiting, uh, I think, as we speak right now here on Thursday afternoon. So the, the interesting part that goes along with Ryan Young's uh, visit and, and potential commitment is so Christian Reeves is a seven footer who played at Oak Hill and he's you talk about a guy that's been on an upward trajectory um, he has shot up uh, in developmental terms you know in mid-December he was choosing everybody thought between Minnesota and South Carolina and all of a sudden he commits to Duke and it also comes out that he's they're planning on redshirting him his freshman year, which makes sense. Like he's a, he's a developmental guy. He's a three-star guy. Um, so I went up in mid February to Oak Hill. And as a side note, I mean, I was on a back road for three miles and I thought I was going to drive off the edge of a cliff. And all of a sudden I drove up one Hill and there's Caleb Foster walking down the middle of the road. I'm like, Oh, well, I guess I'm in the right place. It's just that's a wild place to go to. Yeah, um, that part of Virginia is a weird place because, and I say that because I went to Ferrum, and Ferrum's the same way. You just you're going down down back roads. You think you're on the, in the movie Wrong Turn. You're in a sci-fi movie. You break down. You're dead, and all of a sudden there's a campus, and it's like, where the hell did this just come from? So yeah, there were there that's were how it was there were no no fewer than five times where I just said to myself like out loud in my car, I'm talking to myself, and I'm like. You got to trust the GPS. The GPS knows where you are. The GPS knows where you need to go. It's like, trust the GPS. That's where we are as, as a society. And that's where we are as, as drivers at this point. But, but anyway, so in mid-February, Christian Reeves made it clear to me that like, it's, it was Duke's decision. Like Duke told him he was going to redshirt because somebody had mentioned to me that he had floated the suggestion to Duke that he redshirt. Uh, he, he nixed that when he talked to me. Well, about a week ago, he played in a North Carolina all-star game because he's from North Carolina, even though he did his last year at Oak Hill. Uh, And he mentioned that Duke staff had told him he's going to have a chance to come in and compete and play as a freshman, which is a little bit of conflicting info. Um, I still think, I I think the the chances are still 60%, 70%, 80% neighborhood that he redshirts his freshman year but it's definitely a fluid situation where it's like okay this guy this guy was here in his summer uh between junior and senior year in AAU ball he was here when he got to Oak Hill he's here when he's leaving Oak Hill if he can get up to here like we're not gonna sit a seven footer on the end of the bench that can help us win basketball games and play behind Derek Lively and give us significant productive minutes and and so now you're talking about not only would you be possibly getting ryan young from northwestern you'd be bringing in a guy that you thought was going to be a redshirt candidate who would not be a, a scholarship on the end of the bench that isn't giving you anything so that's an interesting thing you know the the cautionary tale here is still going to be on Duke's roster next year. You know, you don't want to play Christian Reeves 13 minutes and burn his red shirt like they did Joey Baker in 18, 19. But, you know, 
that's an extenuating circumstance because of Zion's injury that year. Uh, you would hope that that doesn't happen with Christian Reeves. And and we'll just we'll kind of see where he is uh, approaching the season. What uh, What's the time frame for a player to play until their red shirt is burnt? I know so, four games, right? You can play. Yeah, four football. Games. Football is four games. Basketball. If you play a minute, your red shirt is gone. I should. Uh, I should know that, and I did not know that. <laughs> but the the medical red shirt is is where it gets interesting. Like Emil got a medical red shirt because he only played nine games. Uh, I can't. I think maybe the year after they won the national championship. So that Sounds right. Yeah. Fifteen sixteen season. Yeah, and yeah. I think he was right on the edge. Like he had played maybe twenty-seven or twenty-eight percent of Duke's games that year, and I think the threshold. This might have changed since then, but the threshold at the time was thirty percent. So if a player had played has played less than thirty percent of a team's games, they can apply for and and I think like more than ninety percent of the time the NCAA is gonna grant you the the medical redshirt as long as you're under that thirty percent threshold. Well that's uh that's interesting and I think that they should probably look back into possibly allowing a freshman to play like I mean the first six games of the season, I'd say, just because I mean it's non conference that's when Duke would besides like the November classics that you know the big teams play in Duke will play like Kentucky or what have you, but when it's the beginning and middle of December, when it's exam weeks and they're playing Elon or playing somebody else, that's like you just uh, had to throw you had to throw the alma mater in there. Didn't I had you? to, I had to, I had I didn't mean to trip up on Elon, but so Mike Mike Shroggy would never allow them to beat Elon <laughs> by forty plus. Listen, we played. We were the team that like we were the. Division three team that played the SoCon team, so they pay us to beat us by thirty. So I know how that felt. I mean, we yeah. played uh, UNC Greensboro, and Wes Miller had them full court pressing with up thirty six with four minutes left, and we called all of our timeouts with twelve minutes to go in the game because our guys kept getting double teamed and calling timeouts and traps, and they're up like thirty six with four minutes left, still trapping. We can't get the ball in, so that. They will not get any sympathy from me when they play Duke because that's like that that's how I felt as a coach. I'm just useless on the bench. But yeah, I mean, I just I found that interesting though that uh there is no red shirt rule because there's so many games. So yeah. it's not a bet very impactful. I could see the cutoff being like right before conference games. Like you can't play a conference game, which would make sense. But and uh going off of that, because I mean Duke's roster right now seems pretty full with the addition of assuming Ryan Young comes, but there's still about one or two more spots left that are open. And we have our boy Shireman and the play on words as Shire's man. And I know Duke made his top eight or top 10, but we think that's as far as Duke can go in the recruiting process, because I know Wake's in it as well, but it really comes down to two other blue bloods. Yeah, it's it's going to be Kansas or Kentucky. Um, he's been in the draft process for about three three or four weeks now. I think he declared either before or after, shortly before or shortly after the Final Four. Um, time is is kind of a 
moving concept to me right now, but he's got an agent who's the same agent as Nigel Pack, the Kansas State guard who went to Miami, uh, I think last week. Uh, Nigel Pack is getting $400,000 a year for two years and a, a car or two to be at Miami. Um, yep. That's that's the NIL world that we're living in right now, like it or hate it. Like that's the reality of things. Um, I think the agent, the agent is pushing for more money for Baylor Shireman. So it's probably going to take somebody coming up with an NIL deal for him that is seven figures. Um, and, and a couple other perks probably need to be in there as well. And it seems like both on Duke's side and Wake's side, uh, that is a bidding war that they're more than happy to let Kansas and Kentucky duke it out for. And the kid grew up a a Kansas fan. Uh, I think he's from Nebraska, but grew up a Kansas fan. He had a quote in a, in a paper uh, this week that said, you know, it was a dream come true and a crazy feeling to see Bill Self's name show up on his phone, calling him once he entered the portal. Uh, this is where we can insert a joke about, oh, yeah, Kansas's staff had never contacted him before he was in the portal because that would be illegal. And the Kansas City Jayhawks would never uh, make such overtures. Play by um, the rules. Everybody's clean. This isn't blue chips. And uh, the agent is a huge Kentucky fan. And so Kentucky and Kansas, that's where it seems like they're just, they're, they're the two front runners. Uh, they can, they can get in a bidding war. Uh, I mean, it, it's not like he's not going to, it's not like he's not going to be worth the money. Uh, the He's really good. Like he shot 47% on threes this year. He was the, um, what is the league they're in the horizon league yeah uh, yeah is it whichever league it is uh he was the player of the year in that league um we were talking before we came on air he looks like it's an easy comparison to make to luke Kennard. um that'll have a tie-in for wake fans who remember the game in uh 2017 when Kennard i think made all nine shots in the second half of a game or something crazy like that in winston-salem but um yeah, he's a he's a big guard, six six, uh, north of two hundred pounds, lefty who can shoot long range shots. Uh, he's going to be valuable to whoever picks him up, or he's just going to stay in the draft process. Like that's something that you know, since we're on the college side of things, we we look at it as oh, this guy entered the portal, he's available. Like he's still he's he's still said that if there's, I think he's looking for a guarantee, as a lot of players would be there's any guarantee that he gets that he's going to be drafted he's going to stay in the process and all of this is going to be wasted breath so there still exists that possibility uh in addition to kansas and kentucky looking like they're the lead horses in the race for for his services if he comes back to college yeah or it could just be he's looking for what what can give me the most guaranteed money he's now the fancy phenomenon because since in the portal and they know that the blue bloods are after him heavy, but that doesn't really impact. I don't, I don't know what his draft stock would be, but I'd assume summit league summit league. I knew it was, I knew it was one of those. It was, it was going to bother me. Yeah. And so he being the nice commodity that everybody wants now 
he's using it to his advantage in the draft process. But at the end of the day, I think he will be better compensated by staying in college for one more year at least. And uh, speaking of that, there's another guy that I just realized that I poked fun at last episode that is now a Duke possible recruit in the transfer portal. And that's A.J. Green from Northern Illinois, or Northern Iowa. A.J. Green in Northern Iowa, last week I poked fun of one of my edits. I was talking about him saying that he was going to put his name in the NBA draft but maintain eligibility but also enter the transfer portal with the idea of staying at school. And I poked fun of that not really knowing that, like, Duke had interest. And right when I published that episode for us, the next day literally said, Duke has reached out to UNI transfer A.J. Green. Have you heard anything about A.J. Green on your end? I've heard a little bit. Uh, it's been pointed out to me uh, by Ryan Lohman, actually. We'll give him a shout-out. Um, I think he's on the Iowa State coaching – his dad is on the Iowa State coaching staff. Mm. Um, well, that plays. Kyle Green, I think, is, is the name that I would see here. Yeah, parents of son A.J., um, you know, Iowa State isn't the transfer destination that they were when Fred Hoiberg had them running like a well-oiled machine five years ago, but they just lost uh, one of the best guards to the transfer portal, right? Uh, is it Tyrese Hunter? I'll look it up, but I think you're right. Yeah, so it, it seems unlikely for, you know, I'm not going to put the Baylor Shireman, he's, he's not coming label on on AJ but I think it's unlikely I think Iowa State is is where I would put my money on that one Duke lost to University of Wisconsin Milwaukee they lost Patrick Baldwin to them because his dad was the head coach there then there's a good chance they're going to lose out on a transfer that goes from northern Iowa to Iowa State because his dad is an assistant coach so with Duke talking about Duke's roster and the portal activity is there any news on the wake forest end yeah so wake has uh gotten some good news and some i don't want to say bad news because it's never bad it's never bad news when somebody wants to chase their professional dreams uh so on i think it was monday yeah monday uh wake forest picked up a commit from jow atuka who was freshman of the year in the mac that's the, the one with two A's. Yeah. Uh, at Marist, uh, he averaged 15.3 points a game. Uh, he is a big body point guard. Uh, he's 6'1, 196. And he is, Jesus. you know, at times, Wake lacked a true ball handler, and that hurt them. And that is one of, you could say, the main reasons they did not make the NCAA tournament. Uh, they struggle with turnovers because a lot of times they had to have their offense initiated by players that weren't best suited to initiate offense. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not taking away from how good Alondis Williams was or Jake Laravia was or Damian Williamson was. It's just, you know, it wasn't their level of area of expertise. And so, Jawatuka, that's that's what he does. He handles the ball. He is going to be Wake's point guard next year. Um, he's a big time pickup. I I had the 
the pleasure, and when I say pleasure, I mean pleasure of talking to Jal uh, on his on his drive to the airport, leaving Wake Forest shortly after he committed. Uh, when Steve Forbes in the in the release later this week said that he has an infectious personality and energy, that's that's not overselling anything. Like that kid is is a fired up guy to to be committing to an ACC school and to be coming to Wake Forest to play basketball and be the point guard. Um, the other bit of news is just breaking as we're recording here. Uh, Isaiah Musius is finished at Wake Forest after four seasons. Um, he is the last uh, Danny Manning holdover on the roster. Uh, it's it's a little surprising to me based on I thought Isaiah would give it one more chance to make the NCAA tournament. Um, he got really close this year to tasting the NCAAs and obviously Wake not making it. He didn't get there and he didn't get there in any of the first three years. Um, but I can understand it. I mean, he's been at Wake for four years. He went through a coaching change. He went through the COVID year. Uh, he's a 6'8". 200 pound guy who pretty much, I, I don't want to say he completely changed his game, but his role drastically changed this year for the better. And the better meant being better prepared to be a professional basketball player. Like he turned himself into a legitimate three or a really tall two who could shoot. I think he shot around 38 or 39% on threes. Uh, he made more threes this season than he did in his first three seasons at Wake combined. And he turned himself into a really good defensive player. And that was always kind of the, that was, that was the question for Isaiah in his, I know in his first two years uh, was how, how well can he play defense? Can he play defense well enough to be on the court for long enough to get hot? Cause he's a microwave scorer. He can give you 10 points in a five minute stretch, just like that. I'm terrible at snapping. There you go. Um, but he was he was a subpar defensive player, and I think he would be the first to tell you that when he first got to Wake Forest and his first couple seasons at Wake Forest. So his defensive prowess this year really took his game to the next level. And I know I'm I'm beating y'all over the head with the role allocate role allocation. Uh, I always struggle to say it the first time too. But he really embraced his role this year as kind of a nitty gritty, you know, he knew he wasn't going to be the leading scorer on the team, but he was going to be a, a spot up knockdown shooter. Uh, he was going to shoot through his his low points. Um, and then he was going to he was going to defend. He was going to lock down the other team's best perimeter player to the best of his ability. And he was able to do that. And, you know, that's. That's one of the reasons why he's put himself in a position where he can say he's going to stay in the in the draft process um, and not be back to Wake Forest for the for that fifth bonus season. Yeah, I was looking at the announcement too while you were talking because I was question that I was going to ask you was do you think he takes his name or you think that he takes his name out and possibly transfer for his last year? But he says that he's keeping his name in for the NBA draft, and so. If you're two feet feet in, I don't think take one foot back out. If I'm being, if I'm right on that, I know there's a deadline. I know there's a certain deadline that is like mid June, maybe. So the you can come back. 
not not to wake, but to stay, uh, keep your eligibility to where not hiring an agent. Yeah, but the thing about it is there's a, a May 1st deadline. Uh, oh. so, so Saturday at midnight is the cutoff for um, when you can enter the transfer portal and use your first time transfer immediate eligibility um, transfer. Uh, that goes for football and basketball players. So they have to be in the portal before May 1st. That's right. Um, there's still, they're like, there's, there's still workarounds to that. Uh, they have to get like written clearance if they enter the portal after May 1st and still try to use that first time transfer eligibility rule. But basically it, it like, that's why there's been a rush to the portal in football and basketball this week, because if you don't put your name in there and, and try to go in there on, you know, May 4th, uh, may the 4th be with you, then you're, you're going to have all kinds of a headache to try to use that uh, first time eligibility rule. Yeah. I've, I didn't know that May 1st was for basketball as well. And then the, the deadline to pull your name out of the draft is June 1st. Um, that's the one that's weird. And like the NCAA and NBA set different deadlines. So you always go with the earlier one. And that's the NCAA is May, is June 1. There are, there's a caveat to if if you've been committed, if you've been invited and I don't know, if, I don't even know if you have to participate. If you've just been invited to the NBA combine, which is usually, I think, around 60, 70, 80 players. If you're invited to that and then you're not drafted, um, you can choose to go back to school. Okay. I, I think is, is what that is, but that's been in place for maybe four or five years and single digit guys have used that. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's really rare. I remember that being a thing, but I honestly forgot about it because it's just, it's never been taken advantage of. Like, so yeah. it's easy to forget about because normally everything with basketball is so much, it's so much faster than the football. Like there's still people, there's still players in the transfer portal from November for football. And it's just like, what are you doing? Like you're, you're wasting so much time that your spot is being taken. So that's where you can see these guys waiting. Obviously May 1st isn't the deadline to commit somewhere, but a lot of guys are getting it wrapped up before the May 1st deadline because they want to secure a spot wherever they are. So if there's still guys going to be in the portal come late May to right before summer sessions start, then you're probably going, you're probably going down a level of play, if I'm being honest. Cause yeah. I mean, you, you've missed the boat because division one, you got it. You got to have your shit together. And uh, I've seen that happen uh, some with guys. And uh, there was another one. Oh, uh, speaking of like, there's no waiting around with kills. Cause I know Trevor kills announced he was going to the draft shocked us because I know you said that he was leaning or you assumed he was going to be leaning to stay because obviously him and Roach are best friends and they openly have talked about like wanting to play together and possibly running it back and I've seen people say well he's not fully into the draft but 
the thing is that with Duke, you have to be because you're not coming back because Duke, Duke can't afford to wait another month for his decision because the Shiremans, the A.J. Greens, all these guards that are available right now in the portal, they can't just be like, hey, can you wait a month until Kills decides? And so they're going to be gone to where Duke will be playing for, I don't know, Derek Thornton still in the <laughs> college basketball. <laughs> Find him in the portal. I don't think it was this season, but one of these past, like, one or two, like, there was there was a time not that far removed that I looked at somebody's roster and he was there and I was like, is that the same one that was at Duke in, like, 2016? Yep. That dude yeah. bounced around. And then, like, Boogie Ellis, too. I, mean, I know he was only at Memphis and then USC, but, like, he was – do commit, then it's supposed to be one and done, and then don't even get me started on Penny Hardaway in Memphis. But that whole disaster. And so, yeah, I just had to poke fun with that. As we're wrapping up, Connor, is there anything else that you want to touch base on, anything that we missed? Uh, nothing comes to mind. Um, Bo, you have anything? No. I don't have anything either. I just hope that this time our predictions are a little more accurate. My predictions are – more accurate and hopefully when this comes out that Duke will have at least one transfer portal guy for the football side and possibly Ryan Young committing from Northwestern on the basketball side and next time this comes out maybe we'll actually have a name for the show so that's the teaser for next week and uh Connor I appreciate it as always thanks Jordan I appreciate it